Hey everyone, welcome to Colored Red, a podcast all about the crimes and murders of Colorado and the Mile High City. This is going to be a quick historical episode today, but first, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the suspect arrested for the murders of Patricia Smith as well as the Bennett family. And he's not really a suspect anymore because they did eventually link his DNA to the murder of Patricia Smith. And as we know from episode two of the podcast, um, the DNA that was collected at the Patricia Smith murder was also connected to the Bennett family murders. Um, Alex Christopher Ewing has been a person of interest for some time, and I mentioned him on episode two, and it's been confirmed that he now faces four counts of first-degree murder and two counts of committing a crime of violence for the January 10th, 1984 attack on Pamela Louise Smith, where he will be charged with felony murder in the first degree for killing a person in the commission of another serious crime, in this case of robbery, burglary, and sexual assault. Additionally, Ewing has been linked with his DNA to the deaths of Bruce and Deborah Bennett and their daughter, Melissa. Their daughter, Vanessa, who was three at the time of the attack, survived and has spoken out recently about her difficult life coming to terms with the murder of her family and her recovery from the wound that she received during that attack. I'll be posting a link to that interview on the Instagram, and I think Nine News has that up, so you can go online and check that out if you'd like to see it. Ewing, who is now 57, was arrested in Kingman, Arizona, 11 days after the Bennett murders, and he was accused of breaking into a home there and beating a man with a slab of granite. Um, he was behind bars until escaping August 9th, 1984, after running off during a bathroom break at a gas station while being transported to court for a hearing. He was actually set to be released for the attack in the Arizona home here in a few years, and so police have moved to, to grab him, and they've officially linked his DNA to this crime. So just like that, we have another solved case this year that all came down to DNA. And we can only hope that this is the start of a lot of unsolved crimes finding justice. I'll be keeping everyone updated on any news with these cases, and be sure to follow my Instagram or Facebook page for Colored Red updates and news about when new episodes will be released. So that brings us to today's story, which takes us all the way back to 1908, when a priest was shot dead during morning mass in front of an entire church of worshipers. The Denver Post published large spreads about this murder, and on many front pages um, that were published, this story was completely sensational, and it ran for quite a long time. Father Leo Heinrichs arrived in Denver on September 23, 1907. He was from the Roman Catholic Franciscan Order, and along with other Franciscan fathers, agreed to handle the duties of St. Elizabeth Catholic Church, the second oldest Catholic parish in Denver. The first being St. Mary's Cathedral, constructed in 1860, that then divided and branched into Holy Ghost Church, which now sits at 1900 California Street. Um, St. Elizabeth Catholic Church, where Father Leo Heinrichs was murdered, still sits as it was in the Auraria campus downtown at 1060 11th Street, where it was constructed from native stone in 1878. If you drive southbound on Spiro Boulevard, um, right across from where the dancer statue is, you can see this church still there. The church soon became debt-free and was therefore allowed to be one of the three churches in all of Colorado at that time to be officially consecrated. And if you're as unfamiliar with religion as I am, the term consecrated means to dedicate or make something sacred. Father Leo Heinrichs was born August 15, 1867 in Ostrich, Germany 
During a time of religious stifling by Otto von Bismarck, who was seeking to unify Germany under one rule, several members from Heinrich's seminary study decided to immigrate to America, and Leo Heinrichs decided to join them. Um, when the group first arrived in America, they joined Bonaventure's Friary in Patterson, New Jersey, and Heinrichs continued his seminary studies there. He eventually received the Franciscan habit and the monastic name of Brother Leo, and he took his final vows on December 8, 1890. A month before his 21st birthday, he was ordained to the priesthood, and this was on July 26, 1891. Eventually, Father Leo Heinrich's devotion to the sick and the elderly made him a renowned champion of the poor, and this attracted the attention of Bishop Motz from the St. Elizabeth Parish in Denver. And so in the summer of 1907, Father Leo Heinrichs joined the parish here in Denver. The attendants from Denver all immediately took a liking to him, as he was one of the few priests to be devoted to the causes of the poor, and he was known to be very accessible to everybody. He conducted Mass every Sunday at 8 a.m. However, on February 23, 1908, he switched Mass duties with Father Woolston Workman, who conducted the 6 a.m. Mass. This Mass was fondly referred to as the Working Man's Mass, not only because of the last name of the priest who conducted it, but because it was early enough for the blue-collar workers to make it to work by 8 a.m. after a short sermon. On this particular morning, however, someone new walked through the door. This man was a 50-year-old, unemployed shoemaker by the name of Giuseppe Alia. He eventually would reveal that he went to the church that day in the Auraria neighborhood with one purpose, to kill a priest. Alia was born in Sicily in 1857 and was raised as a Catholic. It wasn't until he was 38 years old when, for unknown personal reasons, on Easter Sunday in 1985, he lost his faith. That day, he participated in riots against the church and allied with a socialist party. He gradually became separated from his wife and family, and for the rest of his life, he blamed the church for the downfall of his family and his estrangement from them. In 1895, he fled to Buenos Aires, where he purchased an American gun and ammunition and began shooting practice. He immigrated to New York in 1907, but eventually lost his job there due to him constantly raving about religion. After he lost his job, he came to Denver, but again, he couldn't get a job because he was constantly ranting and raving about religion and his family problems, and he was forced to eat at the Salvation Army soup kitchen and sleep in the streets. During this time, he also managed to find time to slip away and practice shooting targets. His goal at this point was to kill a priest because he believed they were always preying on the poor. So on that February Sunday in 1908, early in the cold morning hours, Giuseppe was awoken by the bells of the St. Elizabeth Church and feeling some kind of fresh rage. He entered the St. Elizabeth Parish for the working man's mass and sat three rows back directly in front of the pulpit. This morning, Father Leo Heinrichs was leading the service. Giuseppe had never set foot inside this church before, and as Giuseppe moved towards the altar for communion to get closer to the priest, he took the communion, and then he spit the wafer into his hand and threw it back in Father Heinrich's face. He then pulled a gun and fired once into Father Heinrich's heart. An altar boy saw the gun and yelled for the father to look out, but Heinrich's was shot. He staggered back, and then he straightened back up, realizing that he was fatally shot. His last action was to make sure that the vessel containing the wafers was carefully set on the altar, and then he fell over, exclaiming to God, 
Father Wolstman Workman arrived on the scene shortly afterwards and gave Heinrichs his last rites before he died, and he died with a smile on his face. Father Workman could only say afterwards that, quote, I would have been killed and he would be alive now. There is one way to solve the affair that I can see, and that is that God chose a better man. After Father Heinrichs was shot that morning, the uh, attendees in the church quickly moved into action. E.J. Quigley, a conductor for the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad, jumped forward and tripped Giuseppe as he tried to leave. A Denver police patrolman named Daniel Cronin then jumped over three pews and tackled Giuseppe to the ground, placing his thumb under the trigger of the gun that Giuseppe pulled. Yet this still did not bring down the tiny 122-pound man. Four other men had to join in before he was brought down. A crowd began to gather outside and call for Giuseppe to be hanged as he was taken from the church by Daniel Cronin. But at the time, a different priest um, named Father Eusebius appeared at the doors and called for silence, at which point a hush fell over the crowd. And he then reminded the crowd that vengeance was up to God alone. And Daniel Cronin at that point managed to get Giuseppe into a nearby carriage um, while the crowd was distracted. Here are some Denver Post headlines that ran following this murder. Anarchist glorifies in crime committed in view of Denver congregation. Captured at church door. Rocky Mountain News ran a similar headline in their February 23, 1908 afternoon issue saying, Assassin hates all priests. Father Leo Heinrichs, pastor of St. Elizabeth's Catholic Church, was shot and killed at the altar this morning by Giuseppe Guarnacato Alia, an Italian anarchist who entered the church ostensibly to take the sacrament. And for some unknown reason, all five Denver newspapers decided to run the chilling confession of Alia. Um, and it says, quote, I went over there because I had a grudge against all priests in general. They're all against the working man. I went to the communion rail because I could get a better shot. I did not care whether he was a German priest or any other kind of priest. They're all in the same class. I am an anarchist, and I am proud of it. I shot him, and my only regret is that I could not shoot the whole bunch of priests in the church. This printing of this understandably enraged Denver citizens even more, and crowds began to form at the Denver City Jail. The city transferred Giuseppe to Colorado Springs for fear that a lynch mob would form. And after this, the Denver Post again ran a bizarre editorial about the anatomy of the hand of an anarchist. So I'll read that now. A student of the hand will recognize in Alia's hand a modified type of what is classified as an elementary hand, topped off with what is known as the murderer's thumb. The palm is thick and hard rather than merely firm. The fingers are stiff and heavy and the tips rounded and shapeless. Possessed of a certain low cunning born of animal instinct, not of reason, and with very little mental capacity, are people with hands like those of this self-confessed anarchist. They represent the very lowest type of humanity. So there's that. Check your hands, everyone. Um, St. Elizabeth Church was closed until it could be reconsecrated, and a memorial was held on February 26, 1908. Father Leo Heinrich's body was then taken back to Patterson, New Jersey for burial in the Holy Sepulchre Roman Catholic Cemetery. In Denver, the legend now surrounding the priest began to take hold, and witnesses at the murder scene began to claim that there was no blood which came from the priest when he was shot, a supposed miracle that would prevent his white robes from being stained. It was then revealed by the coroner that the priest had been wearing penance chains, 
a forgotten early Franciscan ritual consisting of wearing chains underneath your clothing that has a spike at every half inch. The coroner stated that his arms and waist were scarred from years of wearing the chains and that the spikes were rusted with his blood. So I would assume that from this, um, the priest was already wearing dressings or wrappings around the chains and that prevented the blood from soaking into his robes. And this could be the reason why he didn't immediately show bleeding after he was shot. The murder trial of Giuseppe Alia was just two weeks after the murder. The only defense strategy was an insanity plea, but the psychological experts and medical witnesses could not confirm that he was insane. Giuseppe was convicted of first-degree murder, and when the judge announced the death penalty, Giuseppe announced that, quote, Provided he who died was a priest, anything else matters little. Giuseppe Alia tried to escape twice while he was on death row. In the first attempt, he pulled a knife on a prison trustee. The second attempt was again done with a knife against the deputy warden. Officers believe that the knives were smuggled in by anarchists um, for Giuseppe to use. So, on July 15, 1908, despite pleas for clemency from the Franciscans who opposed the death penalty, Giuseppe Alia was hanged, and he was defiant until the very end, with his last words being, death to priests. From the Washington Herald coverage in July 16, 1908, he went to the gallows fighting, biting, and snarling. The night noises of the penitentiary had died away. When Warden Cleghorn summoned the murderer from his cell and through an interpreter told him that the hour of his death had arrived, Alia stood for just a moment, glaring at the warden and the attendants. Then he raised his head, uttered a string of oaths, and offered his best physical resistance to accompanying the guards to the gallows. The murderer was held by the warden's assistance until he had exhausted himself. Then he was supported like the trap, where the noose was adjusted and he was hanged. And it ended up taking Giuseppe 19 long minutes to strangle to death. And that's all I have for you today, guys. Here in the next couple weeks, I'll have another episode out. This will be a longer one that I've been researching for a little bit. Um, today's information comes from Murder in the Mile High City, The First 100 Years by Linda Womack and Linda Jones. And if you'd like to see some pictures on this case, just head on over to the Instagram or the Facebook page. Thanks, guys.